And let's go ahead and clap in seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys, this is Liz Cambay. This is Nikki Collin. What up, guys? This is Ethan Stark. Hey, this is Imani Lee Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. What's up, WNBA Nation? We are back and the finals are set. My name is Kyle Haywood, and along with me for this ride tonight is my good friend Steve Schwartzman. How are we doing, Steve? I'm stoked. It's final season. <laughs> We're doing it. Dude, you are quite the vocal guitarist. Thank you. I, uh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, you should hear me do um, Weezer. That's not quite a guitar, actually. That's it's the you know that's <laughs> the sin- But anytime Mouth somebody sin- like vocalizes the the melody of a of a song, I always I say nice vocal guitar. But yeah, not <laughs> that's not- that's not a guitar in that song. But it's, it's mouth synth. It's not quite beatboxing, but it's, I guess it's close. <laughs> mouth synth. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> that's hard to say five times. So. It is. It kind of hurts. Um, it's hard to say it. once. Yeah. Mouth synth. Yeah. I, I don't like hearing it. I'm sorry I made it's it hard, up. It's hard. <laughs> uh, Steve, yep. we finally reached the end of this epic five-game series between the Connecticut Sun and the Las Vegas Aces. And what a way for this series to end. It feels like ever since this series began... We haven't seen a truly close game. We've had we've had a couple, um, you know, that have gone somewhat down to the wire a little bit here and there, but nothing like we saw tonight. You know, most of the wins that we saw were you know nine points or plus uh, as far as the point differential between these two teams. But tonight, it really did go down to the wire. Um, Connecticut led for much of the game, but in the second half. Las Vegas really started to pull away, used a couple of big runs to erase, I believe at one point, a 16-point deficit, um, and eventually take a late lead, and then went back and forth before finally securing uh, the W down the stretch. Now, I just am curious, as far as quality of basketball, what was your take on on this game? This was one of the more uh, gripping, sloppy games I've ever watched. <laughs> That's a great way I to describe it. I <laughs> don't think you can deny uh, that this game was kind of a hot mess <laughs> for a good chunk, especially in the <laughs> second half where it, I a lot of what I'm going to say tonight is going to feel like I'm discrediting Vegas, and that's not what I'm meant to do. Um, but tonight, in a way, I almost felt like there were a lot of cases where you saw the aces step up, especially Asia dropping 23 and 11, but there were a lot of cases where it just felt like there was just a glitch in the sun system. Like almost like all of a sudden their windows decided to update and they all of a sudden went flat and they just kind of shot themselves in the foot. It's really hard to win a deciding game when you shoot 16% from three. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. Uh, That's not a. I was encouraging stuff. I was amazed at how poorly both teams shot this game. Yeah, like it was. It seemed like, yeah, like I I can't remember. It might have been Matt Ellentuck because he's just got such a great Twitter game. But I feel like it was him that wrote the tweet that said, "Does do these teams realize that the highest score wins?" The, like <laughs> the. We talk about Connecticut scoring 18 points in the second half. 
what we're not quite hitting is that Vegas beat them 27 to 18, which is not very impressive. Honestly, the yeah, second yeah, Vegas, half, 27 points in the second half is not great. It felt competitive <laughs> at points, but it was very sloppy. The, the best comparison that I can make, and I think this is a justified case to make the male comparison. This reminded me of the first half of the NCAA tournament final UConn versus Butler. When I think mm. the score going to half was like 20 to 16 and it was horrific and it sort of picked up in the second half, but not by a ton. And I thought there was a lot to look forward to in, in the first half. Connecticut went on a quick run. Vegas fought their way back. Mm-hmm. Looked like there was going to be a lot of momentum. And then all of a sudden it was just kind of like, all right, all right. All right. And then I don't know if you had the moment that I did where you were like, it's a one point game with three minutes left. How did that happen? Like, just excuse me. Like, seriously, I was watching it, but I feel like I wasn't like, was I, did I fall asleep? And then it just that it was, it was a bit sloppy. And, and unfortunately, I don't know that that's a case where you can say like, well, it was a defensive battle. I, I don't believe that was the case. There was I some, think, there yeah. were periods of some solid defense, but to be honest, there was a lot of times where the offenses actually seemed effective and just couldn't put things away. I thought that, especially uh, in particular, Connecticut were getting a few pretty good looks at the hoop in the second half and yeah. just clanking everything. I mean, someone who has played very well this this postseason, Jasmine Thomas. Going four for fifteen from the field and zero for seven from three, that's just an that's a really off night. And I don't mean to single her out as the reason that they lost, but I think that she was kind of just the uh, she she I guess is the microcosm of what you saw across the board for Connecticut. You know, mm-hmm. nobody really shot well at all outside of Alyssa Thomas, who you know makes her living inside the paint, and so. Yeah, just across the board, it was it was really really rough basketball from both teams. Which I mean, if you're Seattle, you have to be licking your chops, regardless of which of these two teams was going to come out of this. Yeah, that's that's actually the best analogy I can think of is um, this was a this was a case where like Sue turns to Stewie and is like, "Can we make game one tomorrow?" Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it tomorrow. Cause I think it's, let's do it right now. Yeah. We feel like I, I think they looked in and not only just based on the score and the missing of shots, but I just think they went, uh, it's, it's hard to believe that there's a team that's going to come in mentally confident enough to stand up against this. And obviously like three days is a long time rest wise to get a team forthright. I wouldn't count out Bill Lambeer when it comes to coming up against the favorite, his first title, uh, with the Detroit Shock was 100% that. He beat a dominant Lisa Leslie team to win his first championship. So he knows how to prepare a team for this situation. But we've also seen a lot of cases where frustration and mental fatigue with the Aces kind of really deflated them, regardless of what Lambeer was doing and saying, so much that we've heard those conversations and huddles during this series. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see the type of stuff, if I'm Bill Ambeer, I'm fixing between now and the finals almost has nothing to do with the game itself. Like, I need to do everything possible yeah. to get these people mentally ready. It seemed as though, I'll be honest, it seemed as though both teams were just, I think you're right, mentally exhausted. I mean, there was a shot of Bill Ambeer just like staring blankly off into space just before the Aces went on a 9-0 run. Mm-hmm. Like, he just was like, 
just super out of it. And I just, I feel for these people. They've been living away from home for totally. so long. We're right at the end of this. And there's like a small part that's like, yeah, we want the championship. But you know what? My own bed sounds pretty dope, too. You know, like, <laughs> and I think there's, like, there's got to be some of that going on. This series was five games, and I swear it felt like it went for like three weeks. And it I, really did. I think that takes a toll on teams when they go. This series was two games in before the other series started. And the other series sure, ended yeah. like four days ago. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's that <laughs> I idea. agree. It, I think that's part of it. Yeah, and they're just like what, like what's happening, and 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 so that takes a bit of a strain on you. Um, but I think there's obviously a lot of encouraging points with how the Aces close the game out. Uh, but obviously, I think we'll get to a lot of those at the you know when we talk more about the finals itself. So that was frustrating. Right. Like it, it's it's a hard <laughs> it's a hard one to explain in that the second half was a bit of homework to get through the last five to six minutes was pretty fun, pretty dramatic. Yeah. Uh, but at the behest of like, is someone, it, it felt like watching a tennis tiebreaker when, where every single serve was going wide. And you were just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, someone's going to get the ball in play. Or like a soccer shootout, and every single shot hits the crossbar. And you're just like, someone's <laughs> got to get one in the net. Someone's got to get one in the net. And there's still that pandemonium, but it's right. You're waiting for the thing to happen. And when it finally did, you could, you know, you kind of knew pretty quickly toward the end, like, oh, King Vegas did is a, probably going to close this one out. Yeah. Has a three point lead ever felt more like. More like, what am I trying to say? More un, unattainable. Like uh, when when Connecticut went down by three late, because it's exactly what you're talking about. I felt like, oh, that's it. Like I've never felt in basketball like three points was was more like you were less likely to overcome three points than I did tonight. I was like, oh, that's it. That's, from a, that's from done. a team pretty full, tr- traditionally of shooters, some solid shooters in yeah. Connecticut. Obviously not tonight. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there is a lot that that's exactly it where it almost for a second felt like Connecticut felt exactly that same way. Cause there was a point where the Ve- Vegas had the ball on the final shot clock and Connecticut. I mean, so they had a shot clock obviously, but <laughs> the, the Connecticut was letting them run out the shot clock. There were going to be like nine seconds left if they let the whole thing run out. And then if they score, it would have been a five or a six point lead. And there was a second where were you like, is Connecticut letting them run the clock out? Like, are they like, Oh gosh, we're down three. I just, <laughs> uh, let's just, let's book a flight home. Like it almost felt that way. You knew that wasn't the case. I think they were trusting their defense to make a move and try to get the final shot. Um, and boy, do I have a lot of opinions on that final shot. Um, but (laughs) yeah, like it was that case of as soon as, as Vegas scored and you say, you're just kind of like, okay, so this is over. We can, (laughs) we can almost call it. Um, it's, that's a bit frustrating. And I think, you know, a part of that you can give the Connecticut running out of gas. They've just dealt with a lot of wear and tear. They obviously, you could argue their biggest star wasn't with them over the season. And so they were playing a lot of catch up. You've got to, players dealing just with a lot of 
uh, you know, they're just banged up, I think, in general. And so I think overall you look at that squad and you go, boy, like, just wait until this team is rested up. And maybe the fact that there could potentially be some sort of extended off time tells you, hey, maybe we're actually going to let Alyssa Thomas fix her shoulders. And I don't, I can't imagine, because if there's one thing, by the way, that you can give this Connecticut team, and almost amongst every other player, uh, any any player in this matchup tonight, Alyssa Thomas shot 61%. She went 22 and 10, uh, like, looked completely on point. And if you were just looking at her performance, you would think that Connecticut was a well-oiled machine. Imagine this person if she could lift her arms over her head. I yeah, exactly. And I mean, technically she can. People called me out about that. Like, I mean, she can. Like, I know she can, but just imagine someone with functioning labrums uh, at, yeah. at the level Alyssa Thomas is. Adding John Quell Jones to the factor, I think there's a lot uh, that Connecticut should feel really confident about. Uh, but it really felt like they were going to do something that I don't think we ever saw coming under this playoff structure, which was to see I, an I under had a 507 seed team in the finals. Yeah, I had a tweet ready, like right toward the end of the game, just in case Connecticut won. I was going to say, raise your hand if you thought that you were going to see the two seed and the seven seed in the WNBA finals this year. You know, like that was, <laughs> like that's is, almost what happened. Like that's how, what's so this crazy. Is how frustrating and a little draining this last game was. I just remembered Seattle's the two seed. <laughs> I, I just yeah. remembered that Vegas is coming in as the top seed. They we got we got game. the one and two, but we nearly had the two and seven, which would have been really entertaining. <laughs> and I was almost rooting for that to happen. Um, so there's a lot that, um, you know, I, I think that for a series that had so many highlights, I did feel like it, it ended a, a little deflated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say this, I would, I would, uh, say after game four, I was much more excited about either of these teams facing Seattle than I am tonight after game five and sports are a crazy thing. You know, people can have really terrible games and then bounce back and, you know, use it as like, man, I can't believe we squeaked that one out as as poorly as we played. And perhaps that's what happened tonight. But um, I am curious, let, before before we get into the, the Seattle uh, versus Las Vegas uh, finals discussion here, um, let's pause really quick. Yep. And just give a quick rundown on how to uh, how to get a hold of us. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find us at WMA Nation Pod. It's also where you can connect with our sister podcast, NWSL Nation at NWSL Nation Pod. We haven't been putting in any episodes as of late, but expect some uh, potentially in the near future. You can find us over at WMA Nation on Facebook. Check us out podcast wise. Anywhere that you get your pods, if you listen to something that has some sort of a review or star system, we'd love a five-star review. We'd love a comment or a review. Let us know what you like about the show, what you would love to see to help make the show a better experience for you. If you want a little extra kickbacks and some, some extra content love and would like to support the show, you can also head over to our Patreon page. We're always sourcing new content every now and again. Actually, we need it. we'll be getting back in the rhythm pretty soon of putting bonus episodes up for you guys uh, so if you if you like what you listen to here, if you head over to the Patreon and become a backer, you can get our extended premium episodes where there's more content. Some of the even sillier stuff that we talk about ends up in there. Believe it or not, it gets weirder than this. 
And then, of course, those <laughs> efforts really help us improve and help the show. If you're looking for some dope merch, head over to our store NB page. Proceeds there go toward efforts we make to get new fans of women's sports to sporting events, which we're gearing up for a pretty exciting 2021 or 2022 or whenever people decide to wear their stupid masks so that we can actually get back to sports uh, in a live setting. But that said, <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, uh, generally the, the whole and full rundown. Good stuff going on. Excellent. And and absolutely uh, stick around at the end of the season when the final's over. We're definitely going to keep this thing running. There's, I, We may very well be rolling right into potential college ball. Uh, the, the, as late as the season is, the draft's going to show up before you know it. Next season prep is going to show up before you know it. And we've got some great off-season material showing up. If you enjoyed W History, our first series where we chronicled the uh, rise and fall of the Houston Comets, and that interested you, and you're sitting at home thinking, gee, maybe that's something I'd like to see in the future. Uh, who knows? Maybe maybe there's going to be more of that. Uh, you might see some other bonus material that we'll be putting together if, if you've listened to our Patreon. We like to tuck jerseys. We might just do brackets for no good reason, because sometimes when we get bored, <laughs> we do do brackets. Or we do uh, random stuff like that. But yeah, yeah there's, there's tons of, of content to be coming in the offseason. So just because the season ends doesn't mean that you have to... Yeah. Slow down your love of women's basketball. We'll be covering Please. the college game. Also giving updates on overseas play, um, especially as it pertains to WNBA players. Um, I do want to give a prep. quick shout out. There's going to be tons of Olympic oh, yeah, prep before Oli- we know. I almost forgot that because we got the Olympics we, we coming have, up. We should be having the Olympics right freaking now, but but it's going to be next year. <laughs> uh, I think literally it should be like right, right now. It might have ended by now because it's almost October, but man, we, we should have had the Olympics. Now I'm depressed. <laughs> Now I'm really sad, but yeah. Well, so hey, that, Steve, but, uh, you know what'll make you know what'll cheer you up? Please. We have had three five star written reviews in the last couple of days, and I got to give each of them. Oh a shout my gosh, out. y'all are sweethearts. That's great. Yeah. So Sunny Sparky one two three four five sweet username uh, gave us a five star review that titled "Refreshing." Uh, mentioned, love this content. Solid insight from people who love the game. I look forward to every release. And the history episodes, incredible. So as Steve mentioned, the oh. W history episodes before, there you go. There's uh, there's someone who's uh, not even a host of the podcast talking those up. Seriously, the, the most fun episodes that we do. I love it. Um, we got another one from KLF818 said, titled The Best WNBA Podcast. It's they said that their love for the league shines through in every episode with their thorough, fun, and engaging analysis of all things WNBA. I look forward to new episodes every week. Thank you for that five-star review. Amazing. We appreciate yeah. it. Uh, Amanda603 says, I get so excited when a new episode drops. I'm a newer WNBA fan, and the hosts have helped me grow as a knowledgeable fan. I love listening. Thank you. And thank you. Amanda six zero three. Yes. Uh, you, you know what? Those are those are all really really solid. We appreciate those. And anytime anybody drops a five star rating and, and writes us a review, we're definitely gonna give you a shout out on Mike, um, just because you deserve it. You know, we like you to. See, you gave us some love. We like to. We like to send the love right back out into the universe because, uh, as we all know, man, we need some love right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, we <laughs> I was, I, we appreciate I was told that. Once, and, and honestly, all you need actually is that. Yeah, I think I think somebody's uh, a, at least four people have said that. Yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, you know what, Amanda six zero three. We feel you as a newer WNBA fan. We are in the league for the, I mean, I, I guess we're now feeling a little bit more seasoned, but it wasn't too long ago, just 
you know, three, four years ago that we were, we were pretty new to this league ourselves. And you know what? As we've delved into this league and gotten really, uh, just up to our eyeballs in WNBA, uh, and women's basketball content, it's become just a complete obsession. And it's, it's, uh, the biggest, uh, it's the most happy I've been with sports. Uh, literally in my lifetime. And so thank you and welcome, um, to WNBA fandom. And we're, we hope that we continue to contribute to that. Absolutely. I, you know, the, the, the thing right now is for women's basketball, women's sports, there are so many places you can go to get fantastic content and you should go to all of those places, whether you go to Winsider, whether you go to high post hoops, whether you follow Matt Allen around, Tuck on around Twitter, the rim, around yeah, the rim, whatever. wherever you go, all of it is fantastic. W Hoops blog, it, you know, it, it's a great community with extremely talented people who are passionate about the sport, and it means a lot to us that we're a part of that recipe for you. Uh, I mean, you know, we 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 love doing this. Uh, we, you know, and I I think everyone says it, but. Uh, you know what we do and and what we put out. If it's good content, if it's you know if it's great content to you, all of it is only possible because of the support we get from our from our listeners and from the WNBA nation. You guys have uh, been consistently fantastic and supportive and critical. We, we love your honesty. We love yeah. Your we've had some of you DM us and let us know how we can improve, and we we do appreciate that. Yeah, um, that's been that's been a, a you know any way that we can improve is we obviously take note of that and try to make our best efforts to resolve that. So yeah, thank we, you, thank you very much. And yeah, so is that is that our time? I think the music's playing. We need to get off stage. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, we've got on about this long enough. Let's talk more basketball, Steve. Please. We finally are hitting WNBA finals. Uh, that oh that flowed well. Finally hitting the finals. Here we go. Boom, boom. But Las Vegas, Seattle, Las Vegas coming in as the number one seed, having beat Seattle twice this season. Um, the last game of which to secure the number one seed. Um, but as we already mentioned, Las Vegas not looking particularly great throughout this series. Uh, did come back from a 2-1 deficit to win and, uh, and, and eliminate Connecticut in advance. However, Seattle made pretty short work of a really, really great um, Minnesota Lynx squad. Um, especially the last game, you know, winning by 21 points. Um, prior to that, uh, you know, with, with somewhat closer games. Um, but I think as that series progressed, Seattle looked better and better. Um, you know, that first game, see, they had to shake off the rest a little bit and it took an Alicia Clark buzzer beater to, to get the W there. But I'm curious, Steve, let's just, what are your overall impressions and thoughts just in general, looking forward to a, an Aces Storm finals matchup? <sighs> I'm going to let you go first, actually, uh, <laughs> because I, uh, I just I, I feel like what I have to say might might turn in an interesting direction. I will say okay. one thing just purely off the bat. I think this matchup is entirely exciting. It's great to see uh, a storm team that we were hoping last. This was the storm team we were expecting to see last year, and we didn't get it, unfortunately, because we lost Stewie for the year. And to see them at this level of prominence is obviously fantastic. The Aces are a team that we've wanted to believe in for a long time. They left San Antonio, came to Vegas ready for a full-scale rebuild. It took them three seasons to get to this level. Whatever you have to say about any level of criticalness about the Aces, they turned this thing around in three years. They're now an elite team that's about to play for a championship, and, and you have to respect and honor that. 
you know, phenomenal work. And they've turned, you know, Asia Wilson, Wilson's become the megastar that she, we all knew she was well to become. And this is a team that doesn't even have Liz Cambage. So you're looking at a potentially long haul here. So this is very much a team expounding on dominance they've had in years past and a team that's definitely going to be on the rise. I'm excited at the idea that this may not be the only time we see these teams match up at this level. And then I, I have other stuff I, I'll say, but yeah. I do, I do think that going, you know, we'll see what the offseason brings, but I do think going forward, these are the two teams that, uh, for me, have the most potential to repeat again next season. Um, I'll say this. I'm glad that you brought this up. The The first thing I was going to bring up was that the Aces have finally, I guess you could say, somewhat completed their rebuild. Um, you know, coming from San Antonio, where they were a last place finish team, went to Las Vegas in their first season in Las Vegas, barely missed the playoffs, and really kind of only missed the playoffs because of a forfeited game due to a, an absolutely horrific travel um, situation. And then went to advance, uh, made the playoffs and advanced into the playoffs and did well and lost or beat Chicago uh, on a buzzer beater with the D'Erica Hamby, the Hamby heave from midcourt. Um, didn't end up advancing into the finals that season, but now has an opportunity to play for a championship against uh, what you could arguably say might be the best WNBA squad we've seen in a little while. Um, that being said, as good as they are, Seattle is absolutely a juggernaut. Now, I understand some of you Aces fans out there, I get it. You're thinking, dude, we beat, we already beat them twice this season. And I understand but did that you? point. But the last game, especially when you're, yeah. when they were sitting, you know, Sue and Stewie. Um, I don't know if, and, and that game went right down to the wire. I don't know if it was as convincing. Um, you know, they're 2-0 against Seattle, kind of. But, I, you know, especially where both teams are, are, are coming back and, you know, nobody's going to be sitting out except for, well, actually, both teams are missing pretty significant bench pieces. And I would say that Las Vegas is actually missing the, the larger bench contributor um, in De'Erica Hamby. She won six woman of the year because she didn't start a single game, but played starter minutes. And I think was seven, maybe third, second or third on the team in points per game. And she's an absolute contributor. Seattle's also missing uh, a bench key role player for them in uh, Sammy Whitcomb, our, our good friend, Sam Bam. Uh, congratulations, yes. uh, however, to as as she is on her way back to Australia, um, anticipating the arrival of a new baby uh, from with her wife, and we just wish them all the best, yeah. uh, you know, best health to mother and baby, and and just uh, all the all the the good vibes that we can send that way. But they're both missing some key role players. I would contend that Las Vegas is missing a more significant piece from their bench. Um, but I don't see, in my opinion, I don't know if I see this game, this series extending out to a full five game, yeah, uh, issue and here. You say, if, if, I, are you are you there with me too? First of all, you say Hamby is a, a more significant piece coming off the bench. You could say she's the significant piece off the bench. She's the sixth woman of the year. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah. And the thing is, after game three of this last series, I came on this microphone. I said the series was over. Hamby went out. I thought it re-cemented things. And you have to hand it to Vegas for for having the wherewithal to pull off the series at that point. So that's to be spoken to. That said, and this is where 
I, I, I give that caveat again. I know it's going to sound like I'm dogging on the aces and that's absolutely not what I'm looking to do. Statistically, just based off of the previous round only statistically, you could, you could potentially make the argument. This is statistically the worst team to make it into a WNBA final. Mm. Um, in the way they performed in the way that you could say they sort of stumbled forward. I know they only played five games and that's a hard thing to gauge when it comes to playoffs, but that's what we're given based on the current playoff structure. So that's all I have to play off of that said, I'm curious to see if how many other NBA finals competitors have walked into the series with a collective negative plus minus based off of their playoff performance. They're walking into this after the last five games uh, under 2.8. In fact, the Sun, who they just beat, were were six points plus, which tells you that that stat's meaningless as I say it out loud. But <laughs> but I, I think it gives that credence to the idea of, you know, this is a team that you know, shooting is, is all right. Uh, I think they're technically shooting a 42% from the field. But if you're, if you're gauging things off of their last performance – alone um they shot i think it, it's pretty anemic you're looking at 33 percent 47 percent 38 percent 47 percent 35 percent and i don't know if there's just some sort of luck that comes with the evens with this squad but it, it i you know to to win a five game series is impressive to have three of those five games be shooting under 40 percent is is a concern in and of itself, you've seen mm. levels of frustration across the roster, what they're able, you know, how they're able to handle certain levels of diversity. We saw that a little bit in Asia Wilson tonight in game five. She got very frustrated after a technical. Now, to her credit, kind of a bullcrap technical. I was going to say, <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, it, was a, it was a pretty rough technical. But you definitely <laughs> saw like fuzziness in the mind after that for a while. She luckily was able to pick things up in the second half. And this is a Seattle team that I think can collect off of that. I think if you give them that kind of an opening, they might be able to strike blows you can't recover from uh, because of their talent level, because of their depth, because they're stout defensively as any team we may have ever seen in the history of this league. That's generally what they're up against. The other thing, when I look at the stat sheet from this game five, one thing that does concern me with Vegas all of their starters played over 30%. And then they registered a maximum of nine minutes out of Jackie Young and only three players coming off the bench. I'm getting the sense that Vegas feels like to be successful and to pull off the series against Connecticut, they have to rely pretty heavily on their starters. And against Connecticut, you have a chance to, to make some use of that. This Seattle team is extremely deep. It's hard to lose a player like Sammy Whitcomb, obviously. That's... That's a tough call. And, but you're still looking at a team that probably is, has four starter caliber players coming off of the bench. On their bench. It's mm-hmm. going to be very tough to maintain that wherewithal if you're going to rely that much on your first five. So, what can you see out of your bench that you weren't able to see at certain points in the, in the semifinals? This just feels like a mismatch. But as I said, if there's one saving grace, I think Vegas does have is having a coach in Lambeer who has that experience of playing at that heavy of an underdog level. Does that translate? Does it not? 
I, it's just hard to tell. You I have a lot more to say on the facts. You cut me off at any point. I, I, I don't have, a, I don't <laughs> no, have a good, good way to end this. But yeah, you're looking at a team that really trudged their way through a series, and on top of that, coming in against a Seattle team that's deep, that's talented, and their two best players who absolutely needed rest, uh, based on one coming off an injury and the other player's age just got about as much rest as they could possibly have been given. And that's pretty And it wasn't just the fact that they started a series late and then ended the series early, but in even the last game, Seattle was able to only play Subert 27 minutes. Yep. Jewel Lloyd only playing 23 minutes. Alicia Clark with 25. They only had one player actually play more than 30 minutes, and it was Bree Stewart with 30 minutes, 11 seconds. So just barely... On the opposite side of uh, of the of the coin here, we've got a Las Vegas Aces team who's just went a five game knockdown drag out drag out series, coming back from a two one deficit with Connecticut, and their best player Asia Wilson playing every second of Game Five. Caleb McBride and Danielle Robinson both logging thirty six or thirty four and thirty six minutes apiece. Every single one of their starters played more minutes than anyone from Seattle did in their last game. So the amount of rest that Seattle's had here is 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 significant. Now, Seattle did come in a little rusty in game one against Minnesota. I think if you're Las Vegas, you have to be able to come in and and really use the momentum that you've got, use some of like the ability that you've had to kind of get through the series. You have to be able to play well and try to take game one. If you don't take game one and Seattle gets into a rhythm, this is not going to look good for Las Vegas. I think if you can take tonight's game and say, hey, we lost one, we were off, let's get hot next game and take a game one, you got a shot in this series. If, if you lose game one and, Las, and Seattle gets back into a rhythm after another pretty significant rest, I don't like Las Vegas' chances. That being said, Asia Wilson is an MVP. Kayla McBride can shoot, Kayla McBride can shoot the lights out. Right, we've seen what uh, Angel McCautry can do when she's not in foul trouble. I mean, she's obviously one of the the more um, she's one of the more consistent scores that you can see in the history of this league, and that's all. That's all behind uh, really solid play that you can see from point guards like Danielle Robinson, Jackie Young coming off the bench. They've got the weapons. They've got mm-hmm. the weapons, but they need to play extremely good basketball to beat. In what is, in my opinion, arguably the best WNBA basketball team I've seen in five years, and I really think that uh, I really think Vegas has, is coming in as an underdog. And what a fun role to play! You're coming off of a, a three or four year rebuild, and you're coming in as underdogs. Embrace it, embrace it. Okay. And here's the thing: when you're coming in as underdogs, you have less pressure. Play loose. Go in there and be like, nobody thinks we're going to win. Let's go win this thing. We've seen teams across sports do that in just about every level um, from high school all the way up through the professional ranks in just about every sport. You see the underdog that's playing loose and catches the the you know, the favorite by surprise and ends up, uh, you know, taking a series or ends up uh, winning a game that that nobody anticipated them winning. Um, so Las Vegas play relaxed and just go out there and play your game. And, and, uh, and I really do think that Las Vegas has the potential to make this work. Um, but I mean, 
Seattle, right? <clears throat> yeah. <I> think <laughs> there is one, you could call it matchup, or I think just a parallel of two players. That's a me set the barometer here. One thing that's helped Vegas is they have had some good performances out of certain individuals that have pre- pushed them along over this last series. Carolyn Swords had a great first half tonight. Uh, Daniel yeah. Robinson's played extremely well and made the most of her minutes over the series. We've seen a lot of that step up. Seattle and Vegas both have a player that I think when they're playing well offensively, they are setting the barometer for how well oiled that team is. And Seattle has I have seen a, that. I have two people Seattle, in mind, and yeah. I think we're on the same page. Seattle here. has 100% seen that come to fruition with Jewel Lloyd. She's played yep. as well as just about anyone on that roster. There's arguments that if she plays at the level she played in this last series, you could see her in the discussion for finals MVP. And that's going to go to Stewie if they win. I think for sure. But I think, I think, I, I think I, it will go to Stewie, but Jim, I think that if, yeah, I think if it would have, if this last series was the finals for Seattle, how do you not give it to she, Jewel? Yeah. She's like, far away the best player. She shot 53% yeah. from deep. Uh, she just looked she shot nearly 60% from the field. Uh, just overall played phenomenal basketball Vegas has that person in them, and it just comes down to this. If the Aces have any dying chance at taking this series and this title, Kayla McBride cannot call herself McBuckets. I guess she doesn't call herself, but you can't take on the McBuckets moniker and shoot 14% from three over the series. I, Kayla McBride needs to find a way to overcome this funk and be the offensive threat we've seen her be for so long. Danielle Robinson didn't hit a career three until I believe last season, and she's out shooting yeah. you. That should be a concern. There's a lot of things that contribute to that, but find a way past it and make it happen. I think you talked about game one being a powder, you know, a powder keg opportunity for the Aces. I want Kayla. I, you know, McBuckets needs seven to ten shot attempts. In the first quarter alone. That that's what I think. I you love need. that. I want shots I love on that. goal. And and probably three to five of those from deep. And if if you clank a handful of them, keep at it. There's a there's a quote that Kobe Bryant attributed or that uh, a, a quote, a, a piece of advice that that he gave to Jewel Lloyd that was highlighted over the series. And I think Jewel Lloyd's learned a lot from it, and it's something that I, I thought about when I thought about how Kayla's performance has been. Obviously, Kobe and Jewel Lloyd had had a great relationship. And one night, I think it was while she was still at Notre Dame. I'm trying to remember the date behind it. He texted, she texted him, and I believe it was like, like three in the morning is the story, and, and asked, hey, what do you do to get out of a shooting funk? If you're in the shooting funk, what do you do to get out of it? And Kobe said, there is no shooting funk. There's only the next shot. And I, when I think of that, I, Kayla McBride came, comes right to mind when I think of that. Because when you're in this type of, of, of a situation and it feels like nothing is catching nylon, you get hesitant to, to take that shot. You get hesitant to put yourself in that position. And that's exactly what she needs to think. Just get to the next shot. It's going to start falling because I'm McBuckets and that's what I do. And we've seen it so many times. And if she can pick it up, I think she sets a pulse that lifts a lot of those ships and it takes a little bit of burden off of Asia Wilson a little bit of burden off of Angel McCautry and allows you to play a more balanced style of basketball. So I'm excited to see how they breathe some life into that in that first quarter or into that first game. And it might turn it into an interesting season, but to quote a co-host of mine, Seattle, 
right? Thanks <laughs> uh, uh, for quoting me, man. Yeah, I love you, cred. you deserve it. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, I I love the Stasis team. I just every single person right now on any WNBA podcast is giving Vegas all the bulletin board material they need. Yep. Uh, but it, it doesn't come with that justification as you look at things. Absolutely. And here's the thing, like for me, even personally, uh, we as a show obviously have a, a, a connection with Seattle. They were part of our initial WNBA road trip that really got us into this league and, and was a very significant part of why this podcast even exists is because of Seattle and and in particular a video from Stewie to uh three of us hosts as far as as far as that goes. So we have that. Also, we love underdogs. We love seeing underdog stories. Las Vegas happens to also be the closest team to us uh as far as distance goes. We've been down to Las Vegas, we've been there together. We've got an affinity for both these teams and um you know, it's not, I, I hope that this isn't coming across like, oh, like we're a big Seattle homers. I think that anybody who's watched this season knows that Las Vegas is a great team and has potential to be a great team. But I think if you are realistic in your evaluation of the Las Vegas Aces, you have to recognize that they have not performed up to snuff this playoffs which is scary when you're facing a team like Seattle where yes, we understand Seattle was the two seed. Um, but I really do think that Seattle overall played better basketball throughout the season and obviously has played better throughout the playoffs, not having lost a game yet. Um, so I think that all of our takes are, are somewhat warranted in that sense. Um, excited for this series, Steve. I, I really can't wait. Um, let's go ahead. Let's get an official prediction uh from from each of us on uh let's let's uh, not not scores or anything but just give me uh, uh a finals winner and how many games it'll take what the what the record is as far as you know uh 3 3 0 3 1 3 2 and who your winner is I don't think I've done this before I we could go back and listen to past predictions of past playoffs but I don't think I've done this before. I've always been hesitant to do it, but I just don't see any way past it right now. Storm and three. I, Ooh. That's just how it feels. Like you said, if, if Vegas finds a way to punch Seattle in the mouth in game one, this gets interesting. If they miss on that blow, uh, it's hard to say uh, you, you can really potentially recover from that. It's, it's, this has a, like a home rousy feel to it, right? Right. Like if they can catch that kick to the jaw, it happens. If they miss, it's a three game long arm bar is potentially how it looks. Uh and that's just how it <laughs> feels right now. I think Seattle's well oiled. They're well obviously well coached. Uh you've got to think that Coach Klopp is gonna get an actual job eventually. Um and I think right now they're the complete package. And maybe we're jinxing ourselves and we're contributing to Vegas writing every single quote on on their whiteboard to, to motivate, and we'd be honored to be on that whiteboard right now. I would be honored to yeah. be on their bulletin board, yeah. <laughs> I, right now I see I see Storm in a sweep. Okay. I You know what? I think a lot of people in the past, when you call a sweep in a finals, are going to say, ooh, that's a spicy take. I don't think it's that spicy. I think it's it's a well-founded, it right a well-founded now, yeah. take. 
especially considering what we've seen of each of these teams as of late. Here's the thing. I, I'm going to agree with you on the winner. I don't think it'll be a sweep. I really do think that Las Vegas is going to be able to put it together um, for at least one game, if not two. And I'm going to lean toward uh, toward this actually going the distance in a five-game series. I'm still going to pick Seattle as my eventual champion, but I think this is going to go uh, a three-to-two series. I think Las Vegas can shake off this uh, this performance that they had against Connecticut. They can, you know, kind of reset a little bit and come into uh, come into this this new this game. I mean, today was kind of a practice game without Derek Hamby and we're, they were able to kind of see how things went there. If they, I, I really do think that they have an upper hand coming into game one. And because of that, I'm going to say they, they take game one. And if they do, I really think that there's some momentum that comes into play in this series. Now I do think Seattle is a good enough team to overcome that. And I think that they eventually will be the champions, but I'm going to say that it's going to be a little closer with a three to two series. Also, I kind of just want that to happen because as intense as this whole season has been, um, watching, you know, three games a night for, it feels like forever. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted, but I, I, it's, I'm exhausted, but don't want it to end, if that makes sense. This month, and especially this next couple of weeks, uh, congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. You won a Stanley Cup. Good for you. And you timed it right, because we're looking at crowning a WNBA champion, an MNBA champion, and a World Series champion in a matter of weeks, which is pretty unprecedented. In like two weeks, right? Obviously, Three weeks. <laughs> I'm, I'm L.A. born and raised, and I've t- t- tomorrow, the day after we're recording this, I have to wake up to a day where I have a game one in the playoffs for the Dodgers and a game one in the finals for the Lakers, and then only two days to prepare for the WMBA finals. Um, I'm regularly checking my blood pressure as it is. And that's coming off of the fact that we went from five months of zero sports to just hear six hours of basketball every single day. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was like uh you know, it's like when you haven't worked out for a long time and then they're like, Hey, do a triathlon. That's what this that's what it's felt like. So I'm tired, but I don't I just, I love yeah. this league and I don't want the basketball to end. I don't want to see I, was, I don't want to yeah. go into an off season yet. I was about to comment so. that we've all potentially been in that scenario, like you said, <laughs> where pretty much nothing and then one day uh, someone you're interested in or, or, you know, someone you might be dating says, Hey, my family's running in a 10 K on Saturday. If you want to come with, and you can't say no, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, so you, you just butter, uh, and you know, maybe you fight through it, but you know, like I'm going to be feeling this for the next several weeks. I just, this is embarrassing, Kyle. I just went fly fishing for the first time in my life with you over the weekend. And my forearm is still throbbing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I'm that out of shape, but, that's <laughs> we've been conditioned You're just exercising a muscle that you haven't worked for a while, right? We've been conditioned up to this point to prepare for exactly this time to be ready for playoff pandemonium, especially on the WNBA stage after watching all this basketball. But on the emotional level, it feels so much more daunting. This is going to right. be a historic championship. I mean, you're talking about. A year in sports we're going to be talking about for years. And for the Storm of the Aces to be able to put their name on that echelon and say, of this crazy 
horrific pandemic era, we're the face of this of the little beacon of hope that sports tried to give uh, the world during what was just a crappy year. Uh, and it's it's really interesting, and, and there's a lot of that. But I mean, fantastic. We'll be seeing uh, obviously some more some more games on a, on a good public stage. I'm not thrilled with the times of most of the games, especially the deciding game being at 3 p.m. Eastern. Thanks a mm. lot for that. I forgot that this was the Masters. Um, and not a basketball <laughs> game, but okay. Yeah. Good stuff though. We'll see. Love it. Okay. Well, there's our predictions, everybody. Uh, let us know how correct or incorrect we are on, t- on Twitter. Again, find us at WNBA nation pod. Um, we, uh, we also got a, a DM earlier this week from a Connecticut fan who gave us a few takes on the whole Candace Parker winning defensive player of the year, not getting as much love on, on Twitter as we, you know, as we kind of anticipated, she kind of just, it seemed like everybody was, was against it. Um, and we want to give a shout out to, uh, to that individual who, who DM'd us. We appreciate that. Um, not going to share your name on mic in case you don't want us to, but, uh, we, we appreciate that. That like totally made our whole day and, uh, and, we, and we're excited and, and we've actually got a couple stickers headed your way, um, for, uh, for, for reaching out and, and being a listener. We appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it's nice. Speaking it's nice to get a of, DM that's not just a bot saying thanks for the follow. Yeah, or like check out these Ray Bans, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got so many sick Ray Bans. Um, I've got so many Ray Bans. Um, but speaking of Candace Parker, uh, let's let's just kind of wrap <laughs> things up with just a little bit. Did of, we even bring of, her up? Uh, yeah, speaking, that's what the DM was about. Okay, you're right. You're right. You're yeah, right, the DM right. was about. Was I about totally the forgot Parker about that. I thought you were just like oh, transition, transition. <laughs> speaking of Candace Parker. Sorry. <laughs> you can cut that if yeah, you want. Yeah, she wears a lot of Ray-Bans. Like <laughs> she might. You know, Ray-Bans are great, especially yeah. fake ones. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Candace Parker is currently hashtag unbothered, according to her Instagram story. Um, however, I would say that the Twitter universe is somewhat bothered or what's... Aunt- Anti bother? I don't know the. It's not unbothered, but you're anti the people who are bothered. Oh, we're all bothered. If, if that I makes just sense. Think bothered in different directions. <laughs> yeah. So that perfect. So the all WNBA uh, defensive teams were announced today, um, and there is one extreme glaring omission from the first and second teams, and that just so happens to be the current defensive player of the year. Candace Parker. Now, it should be noted for all of you who are like, what? That must have just been oversight. Or maybe she wasn't eligible for this award. She was eligible. She was totally available to be selected on the all WNBA defensive teams. Um, the difference being the media voted for Candace Parker as the defensive player of the year. That's where the award came from was media votes. The coaches were asked who the all defensive uh, team should be for the, both the first and second teams. Now you were not allowed to vote for anyone from your own team, but the each coach was asked to fill out an entire deal of uh, of first and second team votes. And Candace Parker was left off enough ballots that she did not only miss out on the first team, but the entire second team as well. And 
Why, Steve? I just uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be civil here. We talked about the confusion of this polarity when it comes to Candace Parker in our last episode. That there's mm-hmm. this strange mean girls you can't sit with us mentality when it comes to Candace, and I and I still don't know quite what it is. We're talking about a player that was snubbed from the 2016 Olympic team who is randomly voted by players as most overrated, who seemingly gets called out by actual WNBA fans who tend to be pretty collectively supportive of most players across the league and seems to get crap, got crap for the fact that she for a long time was an analyst on, on an MNBA program. Cause she was one of the, the first in, the sport to, to hit that level. Um, you see this consistent pattern. And for a long time, I thought maybe it's just something I'm seeing. And I don't know if it's really the case. I'm willing to say right now, that's, that is the case that there's something in the water here. That's causing this mentality toward Candace Parker. I, I messaged you earlier today and said, this decision feels petty. I can't say for sure, oh, maybe, you know, like, obviously, because I'm not in that situation, and who knows, but you look at it in front of you, and you go, it just kind of feels, you are talking about a group of coaches who, just like you said, who watches games, watch these tapes, they weren't allowed to vote for their own players. Yeah, so it's not like they filled them up with their own squad. It's not like Coach Kloppenberg put eight players, which he could have. Uh, there's a justification <laughs> for a lot of storm players. No, right. it opens it up. And what you're left at is who can fill those rosters. Okay. So we're talking about a player who was first in the league in rebounds, first in the league in defensive rebounds, which accounted for 80%, I believe 82% uh, specifically of her total rebounds were on the defensive end. Tied for ninth in steals, tied for fifth in blocks. She was second overall in defensive rebound percentage. She was she was in the top 10 in block percentage. She was fourth in defensive rating and third overall third. in defensive win yep. shares behind Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson, who didn't make the first team themselves. You can look at that. And on top of that, we have a lot of people saying, well, there's more to it than stats. You're also talking about a player who's the overall anchor and one of the minutes leaders of the third top defensive team in the entire league. And she didn't just not make the first team, didn't just make the second team, but got upended by two players who played for a team who had the third worst defensive rating of the entire season. So people who want to say these are coaches, they're analytical, and and they put in the time of the work, and they've seen all these players. You can't just call them out. You can't you you know you can't fault them. You can't say that they're wrong about this. I am saying right now, WNBA coaches from one to twelve, you're wrong. Like you're you're incorrect here. And I saw quotes from Nikki Collins saying. You know, there's more to it than than blocks and specific piece of percentages. And I she wasn't necessarily calling out Candace Parker full on, and some of those quotes were, were pieced together. But the the stat metric, the eye test metric, I I don't fully understand it because it goes beyond that. And I'm going to cut my rant off after this because I know it could go a little bit longer. There was frustration with the MVP vote. You remember this, Asia mm-hmm. Wilson? I don't think is. Undeserving by any means. He's definitely deserving the MVP vote. It was a little frustrating 
to see a Brianna Stewart who nearly averaged a double-double herself, who is coming off of a completely debilitating injury, was clearly the best player on, on one of the most dominant rosters, receive one vote in the MVP race. Mm -hmm. And there was frustration there. And there was a little bit of annoyance there. And, and there were people saying this doesn't make sense. There are a lot of people saying like that, like kind of claiming she should have been the MVP and Asia shouldn't have. And the Asia thing was only kind of like a PR thing and they just didn't want to give it to Brie and all of that. Do you want to know what the coaches did? They made sure Asia Wilson still made the all WNBA team because it made sense because it connected, right? One individual, and I'm only using this as an example. One individual left Anthony Davis off of the all NBA team, uh, one media individual, and got sent through the ringer unjustly for what they said to be kind of a misnomer, and and that was put up. And we and we all you know a lot of MNBA fans went to defensive Anthony Davis. You didn't want to drag anyone else award wise through the mud when it came to the MVP vote here in the WNBA. Why is it that this is the case that all of a sudden people are throwing hissy fits and not seeming to have any problem that someone can be considered on one end the best overall and then turning around and posting 30 tweet long threads trying to justify what has literally never happened in the history of two basketball leagues. Someone winning defensive player of the year and not being put on either of these two teams. And the only reason, the only two reasons that I can think of that put any sense as to why this discrepancy happened is the first name Candace and the second name Parker. And some people just need to get over it. I need to get over my frustration on both sides, right? Right. She's unbothered. I sure. should be unbothered too. It's just, <laughs> it's annoying. And honestly, as a fan of a league, it's a little embarrassing because this happens to happen in the history of two leagues. And this is a team that needs to continue to maintain its image and maintain its growth. And there are a lot of people on the outside looking in that look at this and go, wow, that's a petty move. And, and growing leagues and respected leagues don't usually let petty moves get to the forefront. And that's kind of frustrating. I just, I, I don't know a single ounce of basketball compared to any of these coaches, right? I am nothing compared to their knowledge of the game and their ability to coach and manage and play the game. There's one thing that I think I know better than them, and it's this individual being in the standing that they are, based on this vote, being incorrect. That's the one. I'll never make that claim ever again. I'm not Colin Cowherd. I don't get to do that. But <laughs> So I think that I think your, your rant's warranted, Steve. I think that a lot of people may feel like it's an overreaction. I don't think so. I think that, um, I think that there's definitely a case to be made for a lot of frustration here. Um, so I'll, I'll level with everybody. If I were to be asked to vote um, on as a media member, right? If I was to be asked to vote, I will tell you right now that I had Candace Parker third in my uh, defensive player of the year runnings. Okay. Uh, I, I, I didn't have her up there. I thought Alicia Clark 
should have taken the award. And uh, I think that you could very easily argue Alyssa Thomas as a very close second. I thought it was a close race between those two. Um, that being said, when Candace was announced, I was not surprised. I thought that she's had a phenomenal defensive season, and I wasn't upset. I thought she was my third choice. I thought two other players deserved it more. But that's neither here nor there. That was where my media vote would have gone as a member of the media. Um, I wasn't asked to vote, and that's okay. Um, but just on stats alone, just on stats alone, being third in uh, defensive win shares and fourth in de- overall defensive rating, leading the league in defensive rebounds and rebounds in general, just if you took all of it away and just went rebounding, defensive rebounding, I think that yeah. Candace deserves to be probably yeah. on the first team, probably on the first team. And I, you know, if you really wanted to slide her to second, like, okay, like, but that's where I was with her is I didn't have her yeah. at the top of my, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. But I also wasn't, wasn't about to bump her to the second team. And I for sure wouldn't have left her off my bat. Now I'm not a coach. I'm not on the floor. I'm watching the game with the rest of you on on television in WNBA League Pass, which, by the way, is the best uh, deal in sports. $17. Get it if you oh. didn't get it this year. Um, <laughs> shouts to WNBA League Pass. But that's where I would have been. That's where I would have put it. So I don't I, I can. I hope somebody if you're a player in the league or a coach that hears this or a media member or maybe somebody that just has a little more. um more of a sense as to what's going on here. Could you reach out? We'll leave you anonymous. Just help us. Just help us understand. Help us understand why why this happened, and 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 what really went down here. And I've we've read the threads. We've read the Twitter uh, debates. I, I I just don't. I have a hard time feeling like there isn't a little more to it yeah. than that. I feel like there that. That there's something there's something amiss here, and and it could very well be that we don't understand uh, something that Candace has maybe done behind the scenes that has really frustrated a lot of people connected uh, in you know in the coaching circles or in USA Basketball. Fine, we don't understand that. Enlighten us, let us know. But until we know. I'm as confused as the next person as to why she was left off these teams, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Tell us. <laughs> Help us learn. <laughs> if if there is a reason, tell us. It's, we just don't get it. If you don't believe she should have been Defensive Player of the Year, I get your argument. I see you. If you are sure. in this vote as a coach Cause I didn't, and, yeah. and you did want to be petty and she ends up on the second team, whatever. Her not being included sure. under these 10 to, to, to honestly say 10 full-on players were better than who the media voted Defensive Player of the Year is is pretty ludicrous in my opinion. And by the way, this vote goes beyond uh, – it go, to me, goes beyond Kansas We talked about Bree Stewart and Asia Wilson making second team. That doesn't make a lot of sense. We talked about Elizabeth Williams and Bitnagelani making first team on one of the worst defensive teams in the entire league. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I see other players, uh, Amanda Zowie B, top in defensive rebound percentage. Uh, Natasha Howard led the league in defensive rating. Do you want to check really quick um, which uh, team Natasha Howard made, first or second team? Uh, none, I believe. I'll answer you. She didn't make either team, exactly. Yeah. Amanda Zowie B, <laughs> top in defensive rebound percentage, Di- uh, didn't make the list. Azra Stevens, all over the defensive stat sheet, nothing. 
the, everything <laughs> like it, 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 there's so much about this vote that even goes beyond Candace Parker. She was the glaring omission. There's a lot about this. That's kind of frustrating. Misha Hines Allen who held together in Elena Deladon mystics team. A lot of it because of her stat defense and her ability to control the boards on the defensive end. Uh, not e- almost like also left off, also yeah. left off, not even a consideration. Obviously there's only 10 slots. And one of those should be Candace Parker's, but there's a lot of other players that you could make the argument as well. And the thing that's frustrating about this is award votes every year have a little bit of controversy. And I've stood by the same idea for years now, which is I don't like that media personnel have a vote. I wish that wasn't the case. I'd like to leave it to coaches and GMs and even players or a specifically designed committee that, you know, is put in a position where they can make those decisions in a willful and proper way. Maybe people who work specifically for the league and can make that decision. I like leaving it out of the media's hands. And it's really hard to maintain that argument when the coaches come together with results that are this sporadic and frustrating. And again, that's defensive player. There's a lot of other awards. There's so much more that you could speak to, but again, this is the first time that this has ever happened. 20 plus years of the WNBA, 60 plus years of the MNBA. And this is the first time we're seeing this should tell you that there's a problem. Uh, that there's something to be frustrated about. I just, I don't even know. It's just, it's so strange to me. And the funny thing to me is just based off what we've seen on social media, it seems like the last person who seems to have any concerns about this is Candace Parker. So I guess we should just get over it and move on. <laughs> yeah, we probably won't yeah, bring this up again. So, uh, but now you know I, how I uh, truly want to know like the historical this, significance. The if there's anyone that want to really speak, I really to, do. Is there really some sort of environmental polarity when it comes to Candace? Is she really this much of a polarizing figure that I just might not be recognizing uh, that speaks to, why this vote ended up the way that it did. If if you truly believe that like, it's just kind of poppycock and I don't know what I'm talking about. I almost never do, but I feel some <laughs> legs to this. And I'm curious if that is true. Is there historical significance that I'm missing? Can, I'd like to do a W history about it. Even if you want to help me out and, 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 you know, send some articles my way, we'll do a, a history on the, on the uh, the strange anomaly that is Candace Parker is is did it annoy you that she won Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season? Is that that was undeserving to you and it's carried on till now? What is it? Because I it's yeah, I it's know. also strange to me. I, I I I want to know. Is it a conglomeration of things? Is it a one time event? I yeah. Look, reach out to us. You know where to find us. Yeah. Uh, Either way, sometimes thanks for listening. If you've made it to this point in the episode, we appreciate it. And, uh, uh, we're stoked. We're, we hope to, to converse with you in the final positive, uh, tweet, tweet us, hit us up. Let us know where you're going to be watching the finals from. Um, if you want to take a picture in your favorite team's gear, if you want to send a picture in an orange hoodie, if you want to send a picture in some of our gear that comes from our merch, Excellent. Let us know, uh, and let's just flood Twitter with WNBA content because Twitter can be kind of full of a lot of not fun things lately. Uh, so let's flood it with some WNBA contest content. Tag us. Uh, we'll retweet it, get it out there, and spread the love. Let everybody know this is the best time of year 
to get somebody into the league. It's the finals. It's the two best teams of the season playing against each other head to head. Um, kind of get people excited. Give them this little taste right now so that they can, they can sit and salivate on that until next season and, and see what we can do about getting more WNBA fans. Absolutely. Um, uh, joining in uh, with us and, and being able to watch this league and, and help grow uh, the WNBA and women's basketball in general across the board. Uh, but for WNBA Nation, I'm Kyle Haywood. I'm Steve Schwartzman. And we got you next time.